In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth. Peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and they had gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen them, they, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds had said. But Mary, Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. This is the Christmas story, and this is the thing that we celebrate. And um, I said it's Sunday, and uh, millions upon millions of people are celebrating the birth of a Jewish baby tonight and tomorrow. And they estimate over 2,000 languages. And that's an amazing thing. It's easy to get caught up in the pageantry and the gifts and the, the music and the lights and all the traditions, baking Christmas cookies. We made Christmas cookies this, today and decorated them. It's wonderful. All the things hit you this time of the year. But I think for tonight it would be appropriate for us to just take a minute or two and think about why. Why did this happen? Why did it happen this way? What was God really communicating when he sent his son as a little baby lying in a manger? And he would grow up and he would have an earthly ministry and, and he would know people and people would know him. And he would walk to the cross and he would die a sinner's death. And he would do that for you and me. And we, we know this. We, we hear the songs and we know the story. But why? Why would he do that? Why would God do that? You see, as it turns out, 
there's a bit of a misconception about God that started in the Garden of Eden. And that misconception grew and grew and grew until the point that Jesus came. Jesus came to set the record straight. He came to destroy the misconceptions the world had about who God was and what he was like. Jesus came and he died for our sins and he, and he died for your sins and he died for my sins. And, and I believe that as he hung there on the cross, he had each of us in mind. And he did that because he loves you. And that was the first misconception that started in the garden and it grew and grew, is that God does not love mankind. All through the nation of Israel, when they struggled in the desert, they never once doubted God's power, but they doubted his love. So one of the first things that Jesus did when he came as a baby and lived among us is he destroyed the misconception that God does not love you. In fact, God loves you so much that Jesus was willing to die for you on the cross. So that misconception is destroyed. God is the God of love, and he proved it by dying on the cross. Another misconception that started in the garden and grew and grew, and it kind of goes hand in hand with this God that's angry and doesn't love, is that God is angry and doesn't love, and if you mess up, he won't forgive you. We had this idea, and it, and it, and it probably still lives in all our hearts, that, that God is watching you, and he's checking up on you, and if you misstep, he's taking notice. But when Jesus came as a baby, and he lived among us, and he lived a perfect life, and he died for us, he proved that was a misconception. God is a forgiving God. So that misconception was destroyed because God loves you and no matter how bad you've messed it up and no matter how bad you're going to mess it up, he will forgive you. So God is a God of love and God is a God of forgiveness. And the third misconception that I want to shed light on this evening is that God is not a loving God and he's not a forgiving God and there's really no point. This is the lies the enemy uh, tells us. There's no point to our life. You just, you gotta get ahead. You gotta work hard. You gotta not screw up. You gotta make more and more and more money and that's kind of your purpose. And a lot of people, a lot of Christians believe this. We're just here to kind of exist but that's the third misconception that Jesus destroyed by coming and living here, walking among us, and dying on the cross. Because it wasn't just that God is a God of love and God is a God of forgiveness. It's that God is such a God of love that he values you enough to say, you know what, I have a plan for you. I have a purpose for you. And, and my purpose for you is so much bigger than what you could even imagine God has a purpose for you, and it's an amazing journey he's asking you to walk on. 
And if you take him up on this purpose, he will begin to show you, and he will unlock door after door after door. And you'll start to see that God has a plan for you, he has a purpose for you, and it reflects his glory when you say, okay, I'm going to try to live the way God wants me to live. God wants you to ask him, what's next? What do you want for my life? How have I been doing? How do you want me? Where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? And when you start asking those questions of God, it'll blow your mind how accurately and and easily he answers those. So, Jesus came, and he was born, and and he was in a manger. Shepherds worshiped. Wise men came from afar. Many doubted. His disciples followed him right up to the cross or almost to the cross. And he died for you and he died for me. And so the thing that I want to leave us with is the understanding that God is a loving God. God is a forgiving God. And God has a purpose for your life. And if you can hold on to those three things, even in a, in a just a, a rumor level, not even a, a, just if you could just grasp them slightly at your worst point, at your worst time, no, God loves me, God will forgive me, and God has a plan for me. I believe that you will be filled with joy and hope and peace. He never guarantees an easy life. But if you believe those three things and you interact with your father on those three things, we can have hope and we can be filled with joy tonight and we can have peace knowing that God loves us, God's willing to forgive us, and God has a plan for us. In a few minutes, we are going to light candles. We're going to turn off all the lights in the room and we are going to sing a really special song. We've only lost a couple kids over the last couple years, so I don't think we have anything to worry about. That's Bill Casey's joke. I stole it from him. (laughs) But as we do that, as the lights go dim and the music comes up and the, the room is filled with candlelight, think about those three things. Does God really love me? Will God really forgive me? And does God really have a purpose for me? And I challenge you, in that time when the lights are down and the, candle, the candles are lighting the room and we're singing, you ask him. You ask him those three things and wait and see what he does. Let me pray for us and we will start our candlelit section. <laughs> Lord Jesus, you are a powerful God. And God, it's, it's so difficult for us to believe in your power and also believe in your love. Lord, I don't know everyone that's here, but I ask that you would move in every single heart. Whether, uh, whether the person does not even know you, has never even heard that you love them, or whether that person has walked with you for 60 years that you would move deeply in their heart and that you would communicate the same thing that you communicated with Jesus' birth, life, and death. 
that you love us, that you are a forgiving God, and that you have a plan for our life. God, I ask that you would move in that way. And as we sing this song, Jesus, I ask that you would be honored. Lord, thank you for coming to this place and being born and living a humble life and dying for me and dying for us. We love you, Jesus. In your name, amen.